Well, have a seat. Awesome. How is everybody doing? Man, that was great worship this morning, wasn't it? So, awesome. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt. If you're new here, uh, I'd love to meet you out in the lobby after service if you get a chance. Um, if you're watching with us online, thanks for joining us today. Uh, let us know that you're there. Say hi. Say where you're, where you're watching from. But we're so glad you guys are here. Uh, how's the weather outside? Is it okay? It's acceptable? It's going to get hot tomorrow. Does everybody know that? I'm pretty sure winter is over. I'm sorry. Again, there's only so much I can do about it. I really do pray about these things. But um, so if you don't know, we're in the middle of a series uh, that we started a couple weeks ago, and we've been recounting Romans, right? Uh, we've gone through five, six, and guess where we're at this week? Any, any guesses? We're at seven. You guys are good at counting. I kind of feel like this is like Star Wars, where I kind of want to start in the middle, David, right? Maybe go to the beginning. The next time we'll go to the end. We'll, we're, we'll figure it out. Uh, that's just kind of where we landed, but I, I, it's been fun. And last week, uh, I did kind of put a little song out there, if you guys remember. We're not going to sing it again, but it was, I fought the law, and the law won, right? Do we need to sing it? Go ahead. You guys go. I... See, why do you need me? You don't need me to sing that. I got razzed pretty bad last week for not singing it. I know you guys know it. Anyways, um, so I would say that phrase right there sums up this chapter, okay? It really does, and we're going to go pretty deep into it. And I, I find that the law conversation is interesting to me because when I first became a believer, that is one of the first things that I learned about was the Jewish law, the Mosaic law. I even went through Leviticus. Did anybody do that when you first became a believer, walk through Leviticus? I was instantly overwhelmed, okay? I thought, let me skip to the New Testament because I'm just confused by all of this. When I start talking about lobsters and all this stuff, I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But I did try to live under it. I tried to live under that law. And I think this is why Paul wrote this specific letter, this amazing letter that we have, is e even if you were a Gentile of that time, there's still this law that was burned on their, their conscience, right? Like people still try to look for good and bad, whether they were Jewish or whether they were not Jewish. Um, I, and I think the law was great because of what it was specific for. I think it was really hard to live out the law. Uh, it was a really good law, if that makes any sense. And so I hope that I'm not talking bad about the law today. Correct me after if I do talk bad about it. Um, but I, I, let me try to explain it to you this way. This is why I think the law was very good. Uh, my girls, we, they did basketball about a month ago and went through a whole season a couple of you guys had your kids going through it too, but um, uh, they, during that season, it was our first season ever, and Ruthie and I, we would go out and play basketball and try to practice with the kids and get them better and prepped for the Saturday thing, and it wasn't every day that we tried, but we tried to get them out there a little bit, and 
no matter how hard they practiced, um, we had double the amount as the other team, and we played the same team every single week, okay? Now, I will say that Ruthie and I tried to keep our composure at these games as best we could, but, like, when you're losing every single game, it's kind of difficult to watch your kids lose every week, right? And I would say our coaches got stirred up. Our other parents that are watching their kids got stirred up on our team. And what we found is that the other team, now don't judge me too hard, but the other team, I think, was cheating a lot, okay? <laughs> and the reason why that was is I think that their coaches were teaching them how to foul, okay? Because the refs weren't calling anything. And about four games in, they brought in, I would consider this master referee, okay? This guy was calling them if they were in the paint, if they were doing a double dribble, and if they were traveling. And so it really stepped up the basketball laws, if you will, and so that it kind of made it equal playing ground. And I would say we loved it because then we started to win. We lost and we win. But it, was, it, it basically made it to where it was equal across the board. And I would say that's because of the, the referee. And in that same way, I believe that the law was good and it was specific and it had a purpose. So we're going to walk through this. We start in verse 1. If you'll go with me to Romans 7.1, it's in the New King James. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now, this law that Paul is talking about is whatever law is in place that, where they're living, whether it's the Roman law, whether it's the Jewish law, but they understood that he was talking about whatever law they were operating un under at the time. So uh, Romans 7, 2 through 3, it says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, he is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. So these verses, just to let you know, are actually an illustration. Uh, he's using um, marriage and divorce that goes on in this area uh, uh, as an illustration to, to talk about God's law, okay? And basically, in other words, he's not condemning divorce and remarriage. He's not saying that this person has done wrong. It's explaining the marriage laws of the land. I had a relative that uh, about a year ago was married to somebody and their husband passed away. It was tragic, it was difficult, but I, I found that that relative was no longer bound to that husband. And because that husband passed away, he was no longer bound to the person that was still alive. And so uh, it might make a little more sense. Romans 7, 1 in the Passion Translation, it says, don't don't you know that when a person dies, it ends the obligation to the law? When a person dies, they have no obligation to the law. The law can still exist. The law can still be, but the person is free from the law. Let's keep going in verse 4. It says, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law, through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who, has, who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So this is basically insinuating that the law never died. 
And I know that a lot of believers think that it did, but it says the law never died. We actually died. We became dead to the law. To die to sin and to die, well, I'm sorry, to, you died to the law. So Romans 6, 2, you guys remember last week where we said that you were dead to sin? Does everybody remember that? Though that type of dead to sin and dead to the law, those are synonymous meanings. They are similar in what they're trying to say there. And there is no such thing, just to let you know, there is no such thing as a Christian who is under the law. There is no such thing as a believer that is still operating under God's law. All Christians have died to the law and come alive to God. We no longer are required to keep the law to become righteous. Truth be told, we never could. The law was only meant to show us our unrighteousness and point us to a Savior. And people get it wrong all the time by thinking the law was meant to us and we need to live under the law. Uh, But this is explaining something different. Verse 4 It says, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. So you can know, this, and I understand this well, but you can know all the laws that you want to. You can know all the laws about God that you want to. But truth be told, no matter how many laws you know, it never produces produce. right? It never produces fruit. Uh, I, I tried this. I tried this type of thinking where I not only studied the law, but I studied scriptures that admired the law. Uh, y'all remember Psalms 1 where it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of God. And in that law, he meditates day and night that he may observe to do all that is written therein. Then I went to the New Testament, and I would study scriptures that I thought were talking about the same thing. I'd say, study to show yourself approved, a workman unto God who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so I thought the more I studied God's word, the more I would be right with him, only to find out that when you slow down a little bit, especially in the New Testament, that you're studying to show yourself that you're approved, a workman unto God who needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. When you slow it down a little bit, it's really interesting how you find that no matter how much law you're studying, it doesn't produce fruit. Uh, the, only way to, the only way to bear fruit is to know that we died and were resurrected unto God. Romans 7, 5, it says, For when we were in the flesh, when we were in the flesh, were in the flesh, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, And they were at work in our members to bear fruit to death when we were in the flesh. And last week, you remember, we covered that we have moved locations. We moved from Adam to Christ. Right? Do you guys remember that? We moved from the flesh to the spirit. We co-died. We we were co-resurrected. We co-ascended, according to Ephesians, and we are co-seated with him. These verses are saying that when we were in Adam, our sinful passions were aroused. And the crazy part about it is, is that it says by the law. It literally, factually says by the law. So when people say that you got to have, I don't know if you've heard this, but you got to have grace and you got to have truth. And you got to have grace and you got to have truth. And most of the time what people are saying there is you got to have grace and you got to have law. And you got to have some grace, and you got to have some law. But I, I, I want to quote from the famous Amigo Montoya that I do not think that word w- means what you think it means, right? 
I do not think that truth and grace are the same thing. Some of you know that movie. Some of you don't. That's okay. They are saying you got to have grace and that which arouses sinful passions. You got to have grace and you got to have that which arouses sinful passions. People would never say that if they really knew what they were saying. Wouldn't you agree? They wouldn't throw law onto people. They wouldn't show you law so that you can try and arouse sinful passions. Yes, the law was special. It was holy. It was meant for a purpose. But, we are, but are we sure that we want to go back under trying to live under that type of... I don't think so. We live now under a better covenant with better promises. Amen? Romans 7, 6, it says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. And it's not that the law doesn't exist. It's that we don't answer to it anymore. Scripture says that we were delivered from the law. Um, I'm going to tell on myself here. You guys okay if I tell on myself a little bit? I hate telling myself, but I think it's important that you guys understand this. Okay, so in high school, I tended to hang out with people that got me into trouble. Did anybody have friends like that in here? Right? Every now and then, I will say that I might have got them into trouble, but most of the time, it was them, okay? And so we're in high school, and we decided, uh, they decided, we were going to go to uh, 7-Eleven. And we were going to pick up eggs, which nobody would do that these days with a price of eggs, right? I think they just went down, so maybe it's going to, people are going to do it again. But we had to go pick up some eggs to deliver to other people's houses really quickly. Does that make any sense? In a really rapid kind of way. And... Like, okay, so I, of course, I told you, I was trying to balance them when, when they decided to do this. And when we pulled in, I saw the gas station attendant writing down that we were in a white Jeep and wrote down the license plate. And I told him, I said, guys, we are going to get caught. And they're like, Matt, you're just overthinking it. I'm like, no, I just saw him write our license plate down. It's just a matter of time. And so, sure enough, we start going throughout the neighborhood. I'm telling them, I'm like, let me out somewhere. They're like, let's just hang out a little bit longer. They start delivering these eggs to people's houses rapidly, right? I climb into the back of the trunk area because I'm like, it's just, it's about to happen. I'm, I'm in the back saying, it's about to happen, guys. Sure enough, you saw red and blue cherries and berries, right? And so we pull over, and the cop walks up to us and says, hi, what are you guys up to tonight? And one of the friends, the girl that was in the car, she said, uh, actually, we were picking up some eggs for my mom, okay? And I was like, oh, that's just not going to sell to this police officer. You just gave us away. And he said, oh, that's interesting. At 11 o'clock at night, you're picking up eggs for your mom. And the kid said, yeah, we're really hungry. So they escorted us out of the vehicle, or at least all of them out of the vehicle. Now, mind you, I'm still in the trunk area. I take the blanket, I cover over, right? <laughs> Brave Matt. I cover over, and I said, you know, I, I did, and they finally found me, and I did the best wake-up job that you've ever seen, right? <laughs> I had no idea that, I, that this was happening, and I'm so sorry, officer, right? Hold on. And I, I said, in that moment, guys, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I wanted to do. Do you guys know what I wanted to do? I wanted to die. It was, it's probably the, now that's my worst law story in case you think this happens all the time. But I wanted to die in that moment. 
And the only way I was ever going to get out of the law was to die in that moment. And the same way, the only way that we're ever going to get out from under the law is scripturally it says that we had to die. And the good news is, let's finish this verse in verse 6. It says, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. The law used to show us how to live, but now the spirit shows us how to live. Romans 7, 7, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? I love what he says. Certainly not. Absolutely no way, Jose. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. The law isn't sin, but it showed us our need for Jesus. Matt, and I, I've heard these conversations, right? Matt, there's the Mosaic law, but we're still under the moral law, okay? And I really have thought about how to phrase this in the nicest way in response to the fact that, that people still think that we're under the moral law. And the only phrase I could think is, silly, silly rabbit, tricks are for kids, okay? <laughs> silly rabbit, tricks are for kids. Because the reason I can say that is because I was that guy. I was the guy that loved the law. I loved it, man. I loved rules. I loved laws. I, I loved finding out new rules and new laws. I loved coming up with rules. I gave people rules. I'm like, oh, you don't know the rules? Let me tell you the rules. And here's what you need to live by. I remember it even carried into my own personal life with rules, right? Or the places that I worked. I remember working with my wife's family in real estate and always asking my, my father-in-law. I'd say, well, is there a rule for that? Don't you think there should be a rule for that? I feel like there should be. There's got to be some kind of law. And I'll never forget his response one time. He finally probably had had it for years of listening to me to about rules and laws. And he said, Matthew, he said, if you're looking for a law, you will find one. And I want you to know spiritually, we are not under the law, but if you're looking for laws, you could open up your Bible and find some kind of law. You could create one out of nowhere. And I'll tell you, over the years, I know you might be surprised, but over the years, I was called self-righteous more times than I ever want to count, more times than you can ever imagine. And you want to know a scripture that kind of helped me? This is a side note, but it was James 2.10 it says, if you obey all the laws but one, you are as guilty as the one who has broken them all. And if I, if I want to encourage you guys this morning, this is an encouragement just to let you all know. In this, in, if you're in church this morning, we, were all, we are all breaking the Sabbath this morning. Did you guys know that? You really are. If you're going to look at the letter of the law, did you know they were only allowed to walk 40 steps on the Sabbath? Pretty sure between the parking lot and your house, we broke the Sabbath somewhere, okay? Otherwise, somebody's going to have to carry us all out of here. Probably not going to happen. But if you broke one law, you broke them all. Romans 7, 8. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, let's kind of flip that and read that backwards. By the commandment, it gave an opportunity for sin. Look, I want to encourage you, commands and rules create opportunity 
for sin. Have you ever put a rule on somebody and then watched how they just can't help themselves? Has anybody ever had that with your kids? You tell them a rule and you're sure now they're going to try and break it, right? I know that my, I usually tell my oldest daughter, I'm going to tell my youngest daughter, my youngest daughter loves treats, okay? She loves candy. She loves treats. I don't know where she gets that from, but she loves them, okay? And she was probably two years old at the time, two or three, barely walking. And I remember we had, so we had just had relatives over, so we had a toddler bed in our, um, in our master bedroom, right? And I, was told, I told my youngest, I said, hey, we're going to go take a nap, and I'm going to put the candy in our bedroom. Don't come in our bedroom, okay? Do not bother us. We're taking a nap. And sure enough, probably 10 minutes in, I saw the door kind of creepily open, creepily open right? And I thought, what in the world? And I kind of like tried to go back to sleep. I opened my one eye and I could see my youngest daughter with a full army crawl, right? <laughs> Going in like this. No legs, no legs, just full elbows. I looked over and I said, what are you doing? And she's quick. She leans over. She goes, oh, I'm just climbing into this toddler bed right here. I just needed to take a nap. I want you to know, no, she wanted that candy. She wanted that candy. Because I specifically said, stay away from the candy. If I never said anything about it, she probably wouldn't have worried about it. Right? But because I gave her a law, she was all over it. It says that it produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from me, the law, the law sin was dead. Trying to separate the Ten Commandments from the Mosaic Law is kind of strange. I feel like if that was the case, Paul would have brought it up a little more. He would have said, like, apart from the 603 laws, sin is dead. But because of the big ten laws, sin is still alive. But he never said that. And I read the other day, I tried to get, under, get into this understanding of the mosaic. You guys can tell I can have, I'm having a conversation with myself this morning and having a conversation with you. But I tried to understand, why would they say that the ten were separated from the mosaic? And I found an answer, and what they said was, it's because the ten were separated and we're still living under the ten because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I thought, now you're just making stuff up, okay? I can't find out why that is. And to me, it's just, it's not the case. There is no separation of the law. The law was the law. And if you're looking for a law, you will find one. Romans 7, 9, I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's speaking of when he was young and first came into knowing the law. And the next few verses kind of explain this experience. Verse 10, it says, and the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. We all thought, and can you guys agree with me? Didn't we all think that the law was going to bring life? Like there was a time in my life where I was sure all I have to do is just read the Bible more. Or I just have to be consistent. And I, I even remember writing out the Ten Commandments and trying to learn those. Man, if I can follow those, I'm sure that life will be produced. And some people will try to even encourage me. They'll say, Matt, you, you, we got to go back under the law. Like, don't forget about the law. The law is still, we got to just live under that. But I want you to know, why would I ever go back to that which produces death? It's like uh, the state of Ohio. Have you guys ever been to Ohio? It only brings, specifically in the winter, it only brings death. Why would we ever go back? My kids always ask me, they're like, Matt, Dad, can we, just, can we go back to Ohio? Can we go back and live in Ohio? And I just tell them, you'll die. <laughs> if you go back, you will die. 
Romans 7, 11. Let's carry on. We have some Ohio people in here this morning. Uh, for sin is taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Let's read it backwards. By the commandment, sin deceived me and killed me. Not a place you really want to set up camp for very long. Wouldn't you agree? Romans seven twelve it says, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. It shined the light on sin, therefore doing what it was good at. The law did something that was good at, right? Romans 7, 13, Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that is, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Did the commandment kill him? No, sin did. He was already dead. The law just showed him that he was dead. Amen? He's just explaining his experience. And then we go on to verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, this is where it gets a little, I would say, hairy. It gets a little confusing. Um, and I've heard it preached all sorts of ways. If you guys want to set up coffee sometime to talk about it, it's totally fun. It's something that I'm still understanding and still seeing. But I am going to teach you in the way that I understand this set of scriptures, okay? You guys okay with that? So it says, I'm, it says, but I am carnal and sold under sin. He's retelling, I believe he's retelling his experience of the past, of his experience when he came into interaction with the law, when he came to understand what law was doing to him. He's retelling it in the present so that you can better understand that. Just like I tell you guys stories all the time, I'm retelling an experience that I was experiencing, and I'm making it as if it was right now and then so that you can better understand that. And I wish Paul said that. I wish he said, I'm telling you a story of the past. But he just kind of switched gears. And you can kind of read that. And you can kind of see it in Scripture because nothing really lines up from here on out. Okay? Um, he says, there I was carnal and sold under sin. And if you remember verse 5, that doesn't make any sense. Verse 5 earlier, it says, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law and were at work in our members. Also, if you think about it, chapter 6 he, that he just went through that talked about dead to sin, that would make no sense. It wouldn't make any sense if, that, if, if, if we were still alive to the law. Clearly, these last few verses that he's going to talk about here are not him as a believer. Let's go through verse 15. It says, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. Verse, and then it says, we know that verse 7, he was saying that he was coveting with things. He was coveting over things. And on the outside, Paul looked great, right? Like he looked really good internally, for some reason, he wanted other people's stuff. Outside, he was the top dog Pharisee. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the Jew of Jews, but internally, he had a consumption problem, right? He was insatiable. I'm not sure what he was coveting. I don't know if it was other people's donkeys. I don't know if it was other people's mules. I don't know if it was other people's like robes or sandals or flip-flops, but scripture says that he had a coveting problem. Uh, let's keep going um, in verse, verse 16. It says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
He's saying the law was good, but it's showing him that he was sinful. Let's go to verse 18. It says, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. This can't be his present state, right? This is chapter 7, verse 18. If you just want to go with me back, let's go back one chapter, the same verse, right? Verse 18. So chapter 6, verse 18, he says, And now you celebrate your freedom from your former master, sin. You've left its bondage, and now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as his loving servants. It doesn't sound like sin is, is his master here anymore. It doesn't sound like he's still under sin's bondage. Chapter 7 is clearly referring to the condition of Paul before Christ. Okay, so let's go back to Romans 7. We're going to go to verse 19. It says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do that I practice. Verse 20, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. He says, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do do the things I wish to do. And he says that twice. He says, I, I don't do the things I want to do, and I do do the things I wish to do. Why did he repeat that twice? I believe it's because Paul was living under the law. And in other words, he was doing a lot of things, and he was in a lot of do-do. Okay? <laughs> Philippians 3.8, I think that's why he said this. To truly know him meant letting go of everything from my past and throwing all my boasting on the garbage heap. It's all like a pile of doo-doo to me now and that I may be enriched in the reality of knowing Jesus Christ and embrace him as Lord of greatness. Anytime we're under the law, it's manure, okay? Romans 7.22, it says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. This isn't saying he was born again while struggling, but just that he knew on the inside that he wanted to live by the law. And then verse 23, it says, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This sounds a lot like he's at war. Wouldn't you guys agree? And I would say it kind of reminds me of David from the Old Testament. You remember David? Like he was a man after God's own heart. But yet he was at war. He was making decisions based off of trying to be under the law, but yet still trying to please God and only finding out that he was coming up short again and again and again. And I, I believe that's what Paul's story is. Before Christ, he had some warring going on, even as a Pharisee. Romans 7.24, listen to what he says. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? This guy right here, this guy, the way he's describing himself, he needs a savior. He needs a deliverer. Now, as believers, do we need a savior? Do we need to deliver? No, because he's already saved us. He's already delivered us. In other words, we're not wretched. Wretched just means we're unhappy. We're not unhappy. We have had the savior and the deliverer come into our lives and save us and deliver us. Paul in this state has not had that. Romans 7.25, it says, I thank God 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Even though he thanked God at the beginning of this verse, he still hasn't switched to his current state. He's still talking about him functioning under the law before. I can read it to you in the Passion. It kind of helps a little bit. Romans 7.25, in the Passion, it says, I give all my thanks to God, for his mighty power has finally provided a way through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. So if, if left to myself, the flesh is aligned with the law of sin. But now my renewed mind is fixed on and submitted to God's righteous principles. You can tell he's starting to make the switch, right? He's going from what he was functioning under, which was the law, which only brought sin and death. And he's saying that he's, he's now under God's principles. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of sneak peek into next week, which is uh, Romans 8, honestly one of my favorite chapters. And this is one of my favorite verses. But you can tell he makes an absolute switch to where he's at now. Romans 8, 1, it says, There is... Therefore, which is summing up all of the, the chapter before, now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the, the Spirit. We no longer are functioning under the law. We are dead to the law. We are dead to sin. We're not walking in accordance to try and please him because there is, no condemn, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ pleased him already, and we walk in him. We walk in the spirit. We're not walking in the flesh. We're not walking because the flesh will never please him. Amen? You, you and I, we cannot please him in the flesh. That's why we have to rely on who he is, rely on his spirit, enter, uh, desire to enter his rest which is what the work that he's done, not the work that we could ever do. We can never do enough. Amen? Let me pray over you guys, and we're going to dismiss. Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, God. If there's anybody in here struggling, God, there's anybody in here, man, I tried to do the law. I tried to live perfectly, God. You can never do it in yourselves. You can only be able to walk in him. You don't have to wait and hope and pray that maybe one day he'll be pleased with you. He's pleased with you right where you're at, right now, whatever you're doing, whatever you've gone through, whatever you did this morning, he's still pleased with you. He still loves you. Your sin has been separated as far as the east is from the west. It's nowhere near you, God. And God, so we lift up our hands. We, we worship you this morning. We thank you for who you are, and we trust you today. And everybody said, amen. You guys have a great week.